Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. Today, we start a new season. We start reading the next book of the Heroes of Olympus and it is called The Son of Neptune. In the previous uh, season, we read the book The Lost Hero and we are introduced in the beginning of the chapter that there are three new people and the fact that Percy Jackson is now missing. We don't know where he is in the beginning of the book but as we slowly get to near the end we slowly start to get a hint of possibly where he might be now we are introduced to three people jason piper and leo jason has uh has uh, jason has lost his memory so he has no clue of what has happened where he is why he's there anything and obviously when he tries to regain something he can't remember any of his friends either which who are Leo and Piper. Uh, Piper was Jason's girlfriend before his memory loss, but you know, because of his memory loss, it doesn't really matter that much now. So they also have to re, uh, rebuild that relationship between each other. So with Jason's memory loss, they're all you know very curious as to why this happened to him and what they need to do in order to get it back. So they meet up with, they go to Camp Half-Blood after a very, very interesting encounter with Storm Spirits. And once they return back to the camp, once they go to camp, they also find out that there might be a very important demigod who uh, was part of Camp Half-Blood and has gone missing, Percy Jackson. And so they don't know who or what happened, and they now have the quest that they need to save Hera, from uh from uh so that she can come to the council for i believe the winter solstice so with that they try to rescue hera and jason slowly starts to get his memories throughout the quest and is able to build a stronger relationship with both piper and leo then we also find out that leo has fire powers as he is the son of Hephaestus. We, uh, Piper is that is, and Piper is the daughter of Aphrodite, and that Jason is the son of Zeus. So, with that in mind, we also learn that uh, throughout this entire thing, uh, near the end of the um, story or book, Talia theorizes that since Jason couldn't have survived by himself all alone during this time that he must have been at a different camp uh and with his constant roman uh names of the gods throughout the entire book it is theorized that there might be another camp for the romans and that's possibly where percy jackson is right now and since we left off on that in the last book hopefully this book will give us some answers on where percy is actually is and see from there so yeah let's read chapter one percy The snake-haired ladies were starting to annoy Percy. They should have died three days ago when he dropped a crate of bowling balls on them at the Napa Bargain Mart. They should have died two days ago when he ran over them with the police car in Martinez. They definitely should have died this morning when he cut off their heads in Tilden Park. No matter how many times Percy killed them and watched them crumble to powder, they just kept reforming like large evil dust bunnies. He couldn't even seem to outrun them. He reached the top of the hill and caught his breath. How long since he'd last killed him? Maybe two hours? They never seemed to stay dead longer than that. The past few days, he'd hardly slept. He'd eaten whatever he could scrounge. Vending machine gummy bears, stale bagels, even a Jack and the Crack burrito. 
which was a new personal low. His clothes were torn, burned, and splattered with monster slime. He'd only survived this long because his two snake-haired ladies, Gorgons they called themselves, couldn't seem to kill him either. Their claws didn't cut his skin, their teeth broke whenever they tried to bite him, but Percy couldn't keep going much longer. Soon he collapsed from exhaustion and then, as hard as he was to kill, he was pretty sure the Gorgons would find a way. Where to run? He scanned his surroundings under different circumstances. He might have enjoyed the view. To his left, golden hills rolled inland, dotted with lakes, woods, and a few herds of cows. To his right, the flatlands of Berkeley and Oakland marched west, a vast checkerboard of neighborhoods, with several million people who probably did not want their morning interrupted by two monsters and a filthy demigod. Farther west, San Francisco Bay glittered under a silvery haze. Past that, a wall of fog had swallowed most of San Francisco, leaving just the tops of skyscrapers and the towers of the Golden Gate Bridge. A vague sadness weighed on Percy's chest. Something told him he'd been to San Francisco before. The city had some connection to Annabeth, the only person he could remember from his past. His memory of her was frustratingly dim. The wolf he had promised he would see her again and, and regain his memory. If he succeeded in his journey. Should he try to cross the bay? It was tempting. He could feel the power of the ocean just over the horizon. Water always revived him. Salt water was the best. He discovered that two days ago when he had strangled a sea monster in the Carquinez Strait. If he could reach the bay, he might be able to make his last stand. Maybe he could even drown the Gorgons. But the shore was at least two miles away. He'd have to cross an entire city. He hesitated for another reason. Then she, then the, the, the she-wolf, Lupa, had taught him to sharpen his senses, to trust the instincts that had been guiding him south. His homing radar was tingling like crazy now. The end of his journey was close, almost right under his feet. But how could that be? There was nothing on the hilltop. The wind changed. Percy caught the sour scent of reptile. A hundred yards down the slope, something rustled through the woods. Snapping branches, crunching leaves, hissing, gorgons. For the millionth time, Percy wished their noses weren't so good. They'd always said they could smell him because he was a demigod, the half-blood son of some old Roman god. Percy had tried rolling in mud, splashing through creeks, even keeping air freshener sticks in his pockets so he'd have that new car smell. But apparently demigod stink was hard to mask. He scrambled to the west side of the summit. It was too steep to descend. The slope plummeted 80 feet straight to the roof of an apartment complex built into the hillside. 50 feet below that, a highway emerged from the hill's base and wound its way toward Berkeley. Great. No other way off the hill. He'd managed to get himself cornered. He stared at the, he stared at the stream of cars flowing west towards San Francisco and wished he were in one of them. Then he realized the highway must cut through the hill. There must be a tunnel, right under his feet. His internal radar went nuts. He was in the right place, just too high up. He had to check out that tunnel. A tunnel. He needed a way down to the highway, fast. He slung off his backpack. He managed to grab a lot of supplies at the Napa Bargain Mart. A portable GPS, duct tape, lighters, super glue, water bottle, camping roll, a comfy panda pillow pet, as seen, as seen on TV, and a Swiss army knife. Pretty much every tool a modern demigod would want, could want. But he had nothing that would serve as a parachute or sled. That left him two options. Jump 80 feet to his death or stand and fight. Both options sounded pretty bad. He cursed and pulled his pen from his pocket. 
The pen didn't look like much, just a regular cheap ballpoint. But when Percy uncapped it, it grew into a glowing bronze sword. The blade balanced perfectly. The leather grip fit his hand like it had been custom designed for him. Etched along the guard was an ancient Greek word Percy somehow understood. Anaclusmos. Riptide. He'd woken up with his, the sword his first night at the wolf house. Two months ago? More? He'd lost track. He found himself in the courtyard of a burned-out mansion in the middle of the woods, wearing shorts, an orange t-shirt, and a leather necklace with a bunch of strange clay beads. Riptide had been in his hand, but Percy had no idea how he'd gotten there, and only the vaguest idea who he was. He'd been barefoot, freezing, and confused. And then the wolves came. Right next to him, a familiar voice jolted him back to the present. There you are! Percy stumbled away from the gorgon, almost falling off the edge of the hill. It was a smiley one. Beano. Okay, her name wasn't really Beano. As near as Percy could figure, he was dyslexic. Because words got twisted around when you tried to read. The first time he'd seen the gorgon posing as Bargain Mark Greeter with a big green button that read, Welcome, my name is Steno. He thought it said Beano. She was still wearing her green Bargain Mart employee vest over a flower print dress. If you looked uh, just at her body, you might think she might be someone's dumpy old grandmother. Until you looked down and realized she had rooster feet. Or you looked up and saw Brown's war tusks sticking out of the corners of her mouth. Her eyes glowing red, her hair was a writhing nest of bright green snakes. The whole most horrible thing about her? She was still holding her big silver platter of free samples. Crispy cheese and my wieners. Her platter was dented from all the times Percy had killed her, but those little samples looked perfectly fine. Steno just kept toting them across California so she could offer Percy a snack before she killed him. Percy didn't know why she kept doing that, but if he ever needed a suit of armor, he was going to make it out of crispy cheese and wieners. They were indestructible. Try one? Steno offered. Percy fended her off with his sword. Where's your sister? Oh, put the sword away, Steno chided. You know by now that even Celestial Bronze can't kill us for long. Have a cheese and wiener. They're on sale this week, and I'd hate to kill you on an empty stomach. Steno! The second Gorgon appeared on Percy's right so fast, he didn't have time to react. Fortunately, she was too busy glaring at her sister to pay him much attention. I told you to sneak up on him and kill him. Steno's smile wavered. But, Uriel... She said the name sort of rhymed with Muriel. Can I give him a sample first? No, you imbecile! Uriel turned her toward Percy and bared her fangs. Except for her hair, which was a nest of coral snakes instead of green vipers. She looked exactly like her sister. Her bargain marred vest, her flowery dress, even her tusks were decorated with 50% off stickers. Her, her name badge read, Hello, my name is Die, Demigod Scum. You've led us on quite a chase, Percy Jackson, Uriel said, but now you're trapped and we'll have our revenge. The cheese and wieners are only $22.99, Steno added helpfully. Grocery department aisle, aisle three, Uriel snarled. Steno, the bargain mart was a front. You're going native. Now put down that ridiculous tray and help me kill this demigod. Or have you forgotten that he's the one who vaporized Medusa? Percy stepped back, six more inches, and he'd been tunneling, tumbling through Thrinae at thin air. Look, ladies, we've been over this. I don't even remember killing Medusa. I don't even remember anything. Can we just call a truce and talk about your weekly specials? 
Steno gave her sister a sister a pouty look, which was hard to do with giant giant bronze tusks. Can we? No. Uriel's red eyes bored into Percy. I don't care what you remember, son of the sea god. I can smell Medusa's blood on you. It's faint, yes, several years old, but you were the last one to defeat her. She still has not returned from Tartarus. It's your fault. Percy didn't really get that. The whole dying then returning from Tartarus concept gave him a headache. Of course, so did the idea that a ballpoint pen could turn into a sword, or that monsters could disguise themselves with something called the mist, or that Percy was the son of a barnacle-encrusted god from 5,000 years ago. But he did believe it. He was—he knew, even though his memory was erased, he knew he was a demigod the same way he knew his name was Percy Jackson. From his very first conversation with Lupa, the wolf, he'd accepted that this crazy messed up world of gods and monsters was his reality. Which pretty pretty much sucked. How about we call it a draw? He said. I can't kill you. You can't kill me. If you're Medusa's sisters, like the Medusa who turned people to stone, shouldn't I be petrified by now? Heroes, Uriel said with disgust. They always bring that up just like our mother. Why can't you turn people to stone? Your sister can turn people to stone. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, boy. That was Medusa's curse alone. She was the most hideous one in the family. She got all the luck. Steno looked hurt. Mother said I was the most hideous. Quiet! Uriel snapped. As for you, Percy Jackson, it's true you bear the mark of Achilles. That makes you a little tougher to kill. But don't worry, we'll find a way. The mark of what? Achilles! Steno said cheerfully. Oh, he was gorgeous. Dipped in the river sticks as a child, you know. So he was invulnerable except for a tiny spot in his ankle. That's what happened to you, dear. Someone must have dumped you in the sticks and made your skin like iron. But not to worry. Heroes like you always have a weak spot. We just have to find it and then we can kill you. Wouldn't that be lovely? Have a cheese and wiener. Percy tried to think. He didn't remember any dip in the sticks. Then again, he didn't remember much of anything. His skin didn't feel like iron, but it would explain how he held out so long against the Gorgons. Maybe if he fell down the mountain, would he survive? He didn't want to risk it. Now without something to slow the fall, or sled, or... He looked at Steno's large silver platter of free samples. Hmm. Reconsidering? Steno asked. Very wise, dear. I added some Gorgon's blood to these, so your death will be quick and painless. Percy's throat constricted. You added your blood to the cheese and wieners? Just a little, Steno smiled. A tiny nick on my arm, but you're sweet to be concerned. Blood from our right side can cure anything, you know, but, but blood from our left side is deadly. You dimwit, Uriel screeched. You're not supposed to tell him that. He won't eat the wieners if you tell him they're poisoned. Steno looked stunned. He won't? But I said it would be quick and painless. Never mind. Uriel's fingernails grew into claws. We'll kill him the hard way. Just keep slashing until we find the weak spot. Once we defeat Percy Jackson, we'll be more famous than Medusa. Our patron will reward us greatly. Percy gripped his sword. He'd have time to move. He'd have to time his move perfectly. A few seconds of confusion. Grab the platter with his left hand. Keep them talking. He thought. Before you slash me to bits, he said. Who's this patron you mentioned? Uriel sneered. The goddess Gaia, of course, the one who brought us back from oblivion. You won't live long enough to meet her, but your friends below will soon face her wrath. Even now, her armies are marching south. 
at the Feast of Fortune she'll wake, and the demigods will be cut down like... Like... Like our low prices at Bargain Mart, Stena suggested. Gah! Uriel stormed toward her sister. Percy took the opening. He grabbed Steno's platter, scattering poison cheese and wieners, and slashed Riptide across Uriel's waist, cutting her, cutting, cutting her in half. He raised the platter, and Steno found herself facing her own greasy reflection. Medusa! She screamed. Her sister Uriel had crumbled to dust, but she was already starting to reform like a snowman, unmelting. Steno, you fool! She gurgled as her half-made face rose from the mound of dust. That's just your own reflection! Get him! Percy slammed the metal tray on top of Steno's head, and she passed out cold. He put the platter behind his butt, said a silent player of prayer to whatever demi-roman god oversaw some stupid sledding tricks, and jumped off the side of the hill. And that's the end of chapter chapter 1. That... So now, um, that was a really, really fascinating chapter. We finally get to know that Percy actually also lost his memories as well. And that he also met Lupa. So maybe there might be a theory, a possible theory is that maybe Lupa is kind of the middleman between Percy and Jason's memories because Lupa was involved with both Jason and Percy at both different times of their life. So maybe she might, uh, maybe the she wolf has to do with something regarding their memories and is the key to bringing back all of their memories. And so we'll have to see also why the uh, the two demigods switched places in the camps because uh, is it part of a bigger quest? Is it not? We'll just have to see. And so yeah, I I really hope that Percy is able to survive is able to survive these. Uh, Gorgons. They seem really, really interesting, I must say, with them, with their persistence and their determination to get Percy. They really will not stop at anything. So, yeah, after this break, we're going to read chapter two, see how Percy deals with these Gorgons, see if he escapes, see if he fights him. Um, so, yeah, after this, after this break, we'll, we're going to read chapter two, Percy. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 2, Percy. The thing about plummeting downhill at 50 miles an hour on a snack platter, if you realize it's a bad idea when you're halfway down, it's too late. Percy narrowly missed a tree, glanced off boulder, and spun a 360 as he shot toward the highway. The stupid snack tray did not have power steering. He heard the Gorgon sisters screaming and caught a glimpse of Uriel's coral snake hair at the top of the hill. But he didn't have time to worry about it. The roof of the apartment building loomed below him like the prow of a battleship, head on collision in 10, 9, 8. He managed to swivel sideways to avoid breaking his legs on impact. The snack platter skittered across the roof and sailed through the air. The platter went one way, Percy went the other. As he fell toward the highway, a horrible scenario flashed through his mind, his body smashing against an SUV's windshield. Some annoyed computer trying to push him off with the wipers. Stupid 16-year-old kid falling from the sky. I'm late! Miraculously, a gust of wind blew him to one side, just enough to miss the highway and crash into a clump of bushes. It wasn't a soft landing, but it was better than asphalt. Percy groaned. He wanted to lie there and pass out, but he had to keep moving. He struggled to his feet. His hands were scratched up, but no bones seemed to be broken. He still had his backpack. 
Somewhere on the sled ride, he'd lost his sword, but Percy knew it eventually reappeared in his pocket in pen form. That was part of its magic. He glanced up the hill. The Gorgons were hard to miss, with their colorful snake hair and their bright green bargain mart vests. They're picking their way down the slope, going slower than Percy, but with a lot more control. Those chicken feet must have been good for climbing. Percy figured he had five minutes before they reached him. Next to him, a tall chain-link fence separated the highway from a neighborhood of winding streets, cozy houses, and tall eucalyptus trees. The fence was probably there to keep people from doing stupid things like sledding onto the fast lane on snack trays. But the chain-link was full of big holes. Percy could easily slip through the, into the neighborhood, neighborhood. Maybe he could even find a car and drive west to the ocean. He didn't like stealing cars, but over the past few weeks in life and death situations, he'd borrowed several, including a police cruiser. He'd meant to return them, but they didn't never seem to last very long. He glanced east, just as he figured. A hundred yards uphill to a hillway cut, uh, cut through the base of the cliff. Two tunnel entrances, one for each direction of the traffic, stared down at him like eye sockets of a giant skull. In the middle, where the nose would have been, the cement wall jutted from the, a cement wall jutted from the hillside, with the metal door like the entrance to a bunker. It might have been a maintenance tunnel. That's probably what mortals thought, if they noticed the door at all. But they couldn't see through the mist. Percy knew the door was more than that. Two kids in armor flanked the entrance. They wore a bizarre mix of plumed Roman helmets, breastplates, scabbards, blue jeans, purple t-shirts, and white athletic shoes. The guard on the right looked like a girl, though. It was hard to tell for sure with all the armor. The one on the left was a stocky guy with a bow and quiver on his back. Both kids held long wooden staffs with iron spear tips, like old-fashioned harpoons. Percy's internal radar was pinging like crazy. After so many horrible days, he'd finally reached his goal. His instincts told him that if he could make it inside the door, he might find safety for the first time since the wolves had sent him south. So why did he feel such dread? Farther up the hill, the Gorgons were scrambling over the roof of the apartment complex. Three minutes away. Maybe less. Part of him wanted to run to the door in the hill. He'd have to cross to the median of the highway, but then it would be a short sprint. He could make it before the Gorgons reached him. Part of him wanted to head west to the ocean. That's where he'd be safest. That's where his power would be greatest. Those Roman guards at the door made him uneasy. Something inside him said, This isn't my territory. This is dangerous. You're right, of course, said a voice next to him. Percy jumped. At first, he thought Bino had managed to sneak up on him again, but the old lady sitting in the bushes was even more repulsive than a gorgon. She looked like a hippie who had been kicked to the side of the road maybe 40 years ago, where she'd been collecting trash and rags ever since. She wore a dress made of tie-dye cloth, ripped-up quilts, and plastic grocery bags. Her frizzy mop of hair was gray-brown, like root beer foam, tied back with a peace sign headband. Warps and moles covered her face. When she smiled, she showed exactly three teeth. It isn't a maintenance tunnel, she confided. It's the entrance to camp. A jolt went up Percy's spine. Camp. Yes, that's where he was from. A camp. Maybe this was his home. Maybe Annabeth was close by. But something felt wrong. The Gorgons was still, were still on the roof of the apartment building. Then Steno shrieked in delight and pointed in Percy's direct direction. The old hippie lady raised her eyebrows. Not much time, child. You need to make your choice. 
Who are you? Percy asked, though he wasn't sure he wanted to know. The last thing he needed was another harmless mortal who turned out to be a monster. Oh, you can call me June. The old lady's eyes sparkled as if she made an excellent joke. It is June, isn't it? They named the month after me. Okay, look. I should go. The Gorgons are coming, and I don't want them to hurt you. June clasped her hands over her heart. How sweet, but that's part of your choice. My choice? Percy glanced nervously toward the hill. The Gorgons had taken over and taken off their green vests. Wings sprouted from their backs. Small bat wings, which glinted like brass. Since when did they have wings? Maybe they were ornamental. Maybe they were too small to get a Gorgon into the air. Then the two sisters leaped off the apartment building and soared toward him. Great. Just great. Yes, a choice, June said as if she were in no hurry. You could leave me here at the mercy of the Gorgons and go to the ocean. You'd make it there safely, I guarantee. The Gorgons will be quite happy to attack me and let you go. In the sea, no monster would bother you. You could begin a new life, live to, to live to a ripe old age, and escape a great deal of pain and misery that is in your future. Percy was pretty sure he wasn't going to like the second option. Or... Or you could do a good deed for an old lady. She said, carry me to the camp with you. Carry you? Percy hoped she was kidding. Then June hiked up her skirt and showed him, showed him her swollen purple feet. I can't get there. I can't get there by myself, she said. Carry me to camp, across the highway, through the tunnel, across the river. Percy didn't know what river she meant, but it didn't sound easy. June looked pretty heavy. The Gorgons were only fifty yards away now, leisurely gliding toward them as if they knew the hunt was almost over. Percy looked at the old lady. And I'd carry you to this camp because... Because it's a kindness, she said. And if you don't, the gods will die. The world we know will perish and everyone from your old life will be destroyed. Of course, you wouldn't remember them, so I suppose it won't matter. You'll be safe at the bottom of the sea. Percy swallowed. The Gorgons shrieked with laughter as they soared in for the kill. If I go to the camp, he said, will I get my memory back? Eventually, June said... But be warned, you will sacrifice much. You'll lose the mark of Achilles, you'll feel pain, misery, and loss beyond anything you've ever known. But you might have a chance to save your old friends and family to reclaim your old life. The Gorgons were circling right overhead. They were probably studying the old woman, trying to figure out who the new player was before they struck. What about those guards at the door? Percy asked. Oh, they'll let you in, dear. You can trust those two. So what do you say? Will you help a defenseless old woman? Percy doubted if June was defenseless. At worst, this was a trap. At best, it was some kind of test. Percy hated tests. Since he'd lost his memory, his whole life was one big fill-in-the-blank. He was blank from blank. He felt like blank, and if the monsters caught him, he'd be blank. Then he thought about Annabeth, the only part of his old life he was sure about. He had to find her. I'll carry you. He scooped up the old woman. She was lighter than he expected. Percy tried to ignore her sour breath and her calloused hands clinging to his neck. He made it across the first lane of traffic. A driver honked. Another yelled something that was lost in the wind. Most just swerved and looked irritated as if they had to deal with a lot of ratty teenagers. 
carrying old hippie woman across the freeway here in Berkeley. A shadow fell over him. Steno called down gleefully. Clever boy, found a goddess to carry you, didn't you, did you? A goddess? June cackled with delight, muttering, Whoops! as a car almost killed him. Somewhere off to his left, Uriel screamed, Get them! Two prizes are better than one. Percy bolted across the remaining lanes. Somehow he'd made it to the median alive. He saw the Gorgons swooping down, cars swerving as the monsters passed overhead. He wondered what the mortals saw through the mist. Giant pelicans? Off-course hang gliders? The wolf Lupa had told him that mortal minds could believe just about anything, except the truth. Percy ran for the door in the hillside. June got heavier with every step. Percy's heart pounded. His ribs ached. One of the guards yelled. The guy with the bow knocked an arrow. Percy shouted, Wait! But the boy wasn't aiming at him. The arrow flew over Percy's head. A gorgon wailed in pain. The second guard readied her spear, gesturing frantically at Percy to hurry. Fifty feet from the door. Thirty feet. Gotcha! shrieked Uriel. Percy turned as an arrow thudded into her forehead. Uriel tumbled into the fast lane. A truck slammed into her and carried her backward a hundred yards. But she just climbed over the cab, pulled out and pulled the arrow out of her head, and launched back into the air. Percy reached the door. Thanks, he told the guards. Good shot. That should have killed her, the archer protested. Welcome to my world, Percy muttered. Frank, the girl said. Get them inside quick. Those are Gorgons. Gorgons? The archer's voice squeaked. It was hard to tell much about him under the helmet, but he looked stout like a wrestler. Maybe 14 or 15? Will the door hold them? In Percy's arms, June cackled. <laughs> no, it won't. Onward, Percy Jackson. Through the tunnel over the river. Percy Jackson? The female guard was darker-skinned, with curly hair sticking out of the sides of her helmet. She looked younger than Frank. Maybe 13? Her sword scabbards came down almost to her ankle. Still, she sounded like she was the one in charge. Okay, you're obviously a demigod, but who's the... She glanced at June. Never mind. Just get inside. I'll hold him off. Hazel, the boy said. Don't be crazy. Go, she demanded. Frank cursed in another language. Was that Latin? And opened the door. Come on! Percy followed, staggering under the weight of the old lady, who was definitely getting heavier. He didn't know how that girl Hazel would hold off the Gorgons by herself, but he was too tired to argue. The tunnel cut through solid rock, about the width and height of a school hallway. At first, it looked like a typical maintenance tunnel, with electric cables, warning signs, and fuse boxes on the walls. Light bulbs and wire cages along the ceiling. As they ran deeper into the hillside, the cement floor changed to tiled mosaic. The lights changed to reed torches, which burned but didn't smoke. A few hundred yards ahead, Percy saw a square of daylight. The old lady was heavier now than a pile of sandbags. Percy's arms shook from the strain. June mumbled a song in Latin like a lullaby, which didn't help Percy concentrate. Besi behind them, the Gorgon's voice echoed in the tunnel. Hazel shouted. Percy was tempted to dump June and run back to help, but then the entire tunnel shook with the rumble of falling stone. There was a squawking sound, just like the Gorgons had made when Percy had dropped a crate of bowling balls on them in Napa. He glanced back. 
The west end of the tunnel was now filled with dust. Shouldn't we check on Hazel? He asked. She'll be okay. I hope. Frank said. She's good underground. Just keep moving. We're almost there. Almost where? June chuckled. All roads lead there, child. You should know that. Detention? Percy asked. Rome, child, the old woman said. Rome. Percy wasn't sure he'd heard her right. True, his memory was gone. His brain hadn't felt right since he'd woken up at the wolf house. But he was pretty sure Rome wasn't in California. They kept running. The glow at the end of the tunnel grew brighter and suddenly, and finally they burst into sunlight. Percy froze. Spread out at his feet was a bowl-shaped valley several miles wide. The basin floor was rumpled with smaller hills, golden plains, and stretches of forest. A small, clear river cut a winding course from, winding course from a lake in the center and around the perimeter like a capital G. The geography could have been anywhere in Northern California. Live oaks and eucalyptus trees, gold hills and blue skies, that big inland mountain, what was it called, Mount Diablo, rose in the distance right where it should be. But Percy felt like he stepped into a secret world. In the center of the valley, nestled by the lake, was a small city of white marbled buildings with red tiled roofs. Some had domes and column porticos, like national monuments. Others looked like palaces with golden doors and large gardens. He could see an open plaza with freestanding columns, fountains, and statues. A five-story tall Roman Colosseum gleamed in the sun next to a long oval arena like a racetrack. Across the lake to the south, another hill was dotted with even more impressive buildings. Temples, Percy guessed. Several stone bridges crossed the river as it wound through the valley in, in the north. A long line of brickwork arches stretched from the hills into the town. Percy thought it looked like an elevated train track. Then he realized it must be an aqueduct. The strangest part of the valley was right below him. About 200 yards away, just across the river, was some sort of military encampment. It was about a quarter mile square with earthen rampants all on, four, all on all four sides. The tops lined with sharpened spikes. Outside the walls ran a, ran a dry moat, also studded with spikes. Wooden watchtowers rose at each corner, manned by sentries with oversized mounted crossbows. Purple banners hung from the towers. A wide getaway opened on the far side of camp, leading toward the city. A narrower gate stood closed on the riverbank side. Inside, the fortress bustled with activity. Dozens of kids going to and from barracks. Carrying weapons, polishing armor. Percy heard the clank of hammers at a forge and smelled meat cooking over a fire. Something about this place felt very familiar, yet not quite right. Camp Jupiter, Frank said. We'll be safe once. Footsteps echoed in the tunnel behind them. Hazel burst into the light. She was covered with stone dust and breathing hard. She'd lost her helmet, so her curly brown hair fell around her shoulders. Her armor had long slash marks in front of the, from the claws of a gorgon. One of the monsters had tagged her with a 50% off sticker. I slowed them down, she said, but they'll be here any second. Frank cursed. We have to get across the river. June squeezed Percy's neck tighter. Oh, yes, please. I can't get my dress wet. Percy bit his tongue. If this lady was a goddess, she must have been the goddess of smelly, heavy, useless hippies. But he'd come this far. 
You better come lugging her along. It's a kindness, she said. And if you don't, the gods will die. The world we know will perish, and though everyone from your old life will be destroyed. If this was a test, he couldn't afford to get an F. He stumbled a few times as they ran for the river. Frank and Hazel kept him on his feet. They reached the riverbank, and Percy stopped to catch his breath. The current fast it was fast, but the river didn't look deep. Only a stone's throw across stood the gates of the fort. Go, Hazel. Frank knocked two, hours, uh, two arrows at once. Escorts Percy to, so the sentries don't shoot him. It's my turn to hold off the baddies. Hazel nodded and waded into the stream. Percy started to follow, but something made him hesitate. Usually, he loved the water, but this river seemed powerful and not necessarily friendly. The little Tiber, said June sympathetically, it flows with the power of the original Tiber River of the Empire. This is your last chance to back out, child. The mark of Achilles is a Greek blessing. You can't retain it if you cross into Roman territory. The Tiber will wash it away. Percy was too exhausted to understand all that, but he got the main point. If I cross, I won't have iron skin anymore? June smiled. So what will it be? Safety or a future of pain and possibility? Behind him, the gorgon screeched as they flew from the tunnel. Frank let his arrows fly. From the middle of the river, Hazel yelled, Percy, come on! Up on the watchtower's horns blew. The sentries shouted and swiveled their crossbows toward the gorgons. Annabeth, Percy thought. He forged into the river. It was icy cold, much, uh, much swifter than he imagined. But that didn't bother him. New strength surged through his limbs. His senses tingled like he'd been injected with caffeine. He reached, he reached the other side and put that old woman down as the camp's gates opened. Dozens of kids in armor poured out. Hazel turned with a relief smile. Relief smile. Then she looked over Percy's shoulder and her expression changed to horror. Frank! Frank was halfway across the river when the Gorgons caught him. They swooped out of the sky and grabbed him by either arm. He screamed in pain as their claws drug it, dug into his skin. The sentries yelled, but Percy knew they couldn't get a clearer shot. They'd end up killing Frank. The other kids drew swords and got ready to charge into the water, but they'd be too late. That was, there was only one way. Percy thrust out his hands. An intense tugging sensation filled his gut, and the Tiber obeyed his will. The river surged, whirlpools formed on either side of Frank. Giant watery hands erupted from the stream, copying Percy's movements. The giant hands grabbed the gorgons, who dropped Frank in surprise. Then the hands lifted the squawking monsters in a liquid vise grip. Percy heard the other kids yelping and backing away, but he stayed focused on his task. He made a smashing gesture with his fists, and the giant hands plunged the gorgons into the, into the Tiber. The monsters hit bottom and broke into dust. Glittering clouds of gorgon essence struggled to reform, but the river pulled them apart like a blender. Soon, every trace of the gorgons was swept downstream. The whirlpools vanished, and the current returned to normal. Percy stood on the riverbank. His clothes and his skin steamed as if the Tiber's waters had given him an acid bath. He felt exposed, raw, vulnerable. In the middle of the Tiber, Frank stumbled around, looking stunned but perfectly fine. Hazel waited, it out, uh, waited out and helped him ashore. Only then did Percy realize how quiet the other kids had become. Everyone was staring at him. Only the old lady June looked unfazed. 
Well, that was a lovely trip, she said. Thank you, Percy Jackson, for bringing me to Camp Jupiter. One of the girls made a choking sound. (coughs) Percy Jackson? She sounded as if she'd recognize his name. Percy focused on her, hoping to see a familiar face. He was obviously a leader. She wore a regal purple cloak over her armor. Her chest was decorated with medals. She must have been about Percy's age, uh, with dark, piercing eyes and long, black hair. Percy didn't recognize her, but the girl stared at him as if she'd seen him in in her nightmares. June laughed with delight. Oh, yes, you'll have such fun together. Then just because the day hadn't been weird enough already, the old lady began to glow and change form. She grew until she until she was a shining seven-foot-tall goddess in a blue dress, with a cloak that looked like goat skin over her shoulders. Her face was stern and stately, and her hand was a staff topped with a lotus flower. If it was possible for the campers to look more stunned, they did. The girl with the purple and the cloak knelt, the others, fall- others followed her lead. One kid got down so hastily, he almost impaled himself on his sword. Hazel was the first to speak. Juna. She and Frank also fell to their knees, leaving Percy the only one standing. He knew he should probably kneel too, but after carrying the old lady so far, he didn't feel like showing her that much respect. Juno, huh? He said. If I passed your test, can I have my memory and my life back? The goddess smiled. In time, Percy Jackson. If you succeed at K- here at camp, you've done well today, which is a good start. Perhaps there's hope for you yet. She turned to the other kids. Romans, I present to you the son of Neptune. For months he has been slumbering, but now he's awake. His fate is in your hands. The feast of fortune comes quickly, and death must be unleashed if you are to stand any hope in the battle. Do not fail me. Juno shimmered and disappeared. Percy looked at Hazel and Frank for some kind of explanation, but they seemed just as confused as he was. Frank was holding something Percy hadn't noticed before. Two small clay flasks with cork stoppers, like potions, one in each hand. Percy had no idea where they'd come from, but he saw Frank slip them into his pockets. Frank gave him a look like, we'll talk about it later. The girl in the purple cloak stepped forward. She examined Percy warily, and Percy couldn't shake the feeling that she wanted to run him through with her dagger. So, she said coldly, a son of Neptune who comes uh, to us with the blessing of Juno. Look, he said, my memory's a little fuzzy. Um, it's gone, actually. Do I know you? The girl hesitated. I am Reyna, Praetor of the Twelfth Legion, and... No, I don't know you. That last part of it was a lie. Percy could tell from her eyes, but he also understood that if he argued with her about it here in front of her soldiers, she wouldn't appreciate it. Hazel, said Reyna, bring him inside. I want to question him at the Prince- Principia. Then I will send him to Octavian. We must consult the Augeries before we decide what to do with him. What do you mean? Percy asked. Decide what to do with me? Reyna's hand tightened on her dagger. Obviously, she was not used to having her orders questioned. Before we accept anyone into camp, we must interrogate them and read the auguries. Juno said your fate is on our hands. We have to know whether the goddess has brought us a new recruit. Reyna studied Percy as if she found that doubtful. Or, she said more hopefully, if she's brought us an enemy to kill. And that's the end of chapter two. Well, that... 
that was certainly another fascinating chapter. We finally see that Percy has reached the other camp, Camp uh, Camp Jupiter, I believe, was said in that chapter, and that Hera has also come to join Percy in her send-off to the other camp. Uh, I wonder if this is all part of a bigger theory and all of a bigger quest, because if it's like puzzle pieces all fitting together, and maybe in the later books we start to realize that this quest is the quest that involved the seven demigods and is, and things like this with Hera and Lupa bring uh, splitting Percy and uh, Jason between two different camps and taking away their memories. Maybe this is something that goes into play with the Great Prophecy. So we'll have to see how this plays out with Percy fitting in. It seems that uh, Hazel and Frank are, are are on pretty good terms. Hopefully, Percy is able to get on the good side of Reyna as well, and possibly does not is not does not face any punishments. And so, yeah, maybe they'll all start to say, "Hey, maybe we should get you back to possibly where you were," and they maybe even meet with Camp Half Blood. But hopefully, as we learned in the previous book, that sparked a civil war. So. Hopefully this time they actually work together to fight against Gaia and also help Percy and Jason restore their memories once and for all. So that Percy can remember everything and not just Annabeth. He can remember Annabeth and everything else of all the stuff that he's done as well as with Jason. So uh, next week we're going to read chapters 3 and 4. We'll see how Percy goes with this trial Hopefully he passes, hopefully he does well with it, and hopefully Reyna begins to trust him a little bit more. So next week we'll read chapter 3 and 4. I hope you guys enjoyed this pod, this, epi- this episode. If you guys want to support me, my Patreon link is located in the description of my podcast. This is totally optional, but if you wish to do it, I thank you for that. And I thank you for listening to this episode. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.